Welcome to another episode of Up To. Eight years ago, Up To started as a live event series showcasing leaders who are as humble as they are successful. The humility piece is extremely important as we identify leaders who can inspire others. We try to focus our interviews on the non-business aspects of their lives and in doing so have found there is a real thirst to explore their hearts and minds in atypical ways. Our host as always is Adam Kaufman and our guest today is John DeJulius. Right now, you're listening to the Up To Podcast. We'll be right back. One of the aspects of podcasting I enjoy the most is the ability to delve into long form discussions without any interruption other than a periodic commentary about one of our partners. I'm grateful that Calfee, Ohio-based law firm has agreed to partner with us. They have offices throughout Ohio and also in Washington, D.C., in New York, and Indianapolis, too. They are a full-service firm, every type of legal need. One example I'll share right now, because so many of our listeners are entrepreneurs, is not too long ago, a friend of mine sold his company to a public corporation. And with that came some restrictions and ramifications on his future employment. And to navigate through that properly, he asked my advice. And without hesitation, I recommended Calfee because I knew they'd have the right type of specialist to help him with his particular needs. And my friend continues to rave about that experience. And I'm very grateful that Calfee has agreed to partner with UpTo. So whether it's selling your own business or the more routine needs of creating your first will or anything in between, uh, this firm can really do it all in terms of legal needs. Once again, the firm is Calfee. You can find them at calfee.com or on the UpTo Foundation website. Welcome back. You're listening to the UpTo Podcast. Here's your host, Adam Kaufman. So today, I'm super excited to have with us someone who can only be considered as a global leader in his field of work. John is considered among the world's foremost experts on customer service, as he has worked with many, practically all of the companies best known for customer service excellence. Companies like Starbucks, if you've ever heard of that, Ritz-Carlton, Chick-fil-A, Nordstrom. He's one of those people who, when you hear about all that he's accomplished, you wonder, how does he do it all? Our guest today is the founder of two successful businesses, a multi-location upscale salon and spa that I used to attend when I needed haircuts, also a customer experience consulting business that has him traveling all over the world. He's additionally a four-time best-selling author. My favorite book of his is What's the Secret? We can talk about that a little bit, John. And he travels worldwide as a keynote speaker. He's the founder of a very special foundation called Believe in Dreams, which aims to fulfill the dreams of underprivileged individuals who overcome adversity. And John has done all of this, raising three boys mostly on his own. Simply remarkable. John DeJulius, welcome to the podcast, where we feature leaders who are as humble as they are successful. What have you been up to? Thank you. It's such a pleasure to be here. Up to a lot with the uh, new normal. What is new normal like for you? You know, I've really enjoyed and made, you know, the most out of the opportunity, the quarantine that we've come out of. Um, I just thought it was a great opportunity to uh, to pivot in every area, professionally and, and personally. You know, the first thing, you know, I think was important is to find the gift, personally and professionally. And, you know, so the gift at home, to have that quality time, to, you know, not be traveling to be present, get better workouts. So you in. usually travel a lot, right? Every week. Right. So you gone, do you say half the time or? Yeah, 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 probably half the time. I but. define my travel as half the time. So it has been a gift to yeah. not travel. Yeah, totally. What have you been doing with that additional time that would normally be traveling, not even the work part, but what have you been doing with that time? Yeah, you know, not even having the commute time um, and adding that back in getting the best workouts I have, you know, since I was probably in college and I've found a, a new uh, love for cooking. Really? Yeah. And I mean, I used to burn salads <laughs> on purpose, so I would never be asked to do anything. What are you cooking? Um, a grilling. So yeah. I don't know if that really counts. No, that's what I do. I hope it counts. I, every night, you know, I, I'm outside grilling on the patio and uh, doing that. And the other thing I'm doing, and, and I'm always, you know, pretty good at this, but now I'm um, just obsessed is consuming, 
consuming books, podcasts, mm -hmm. um, videos. Like, I love it. Probably two to three hours a day, not in a row. Right. But it fires me up. I love hearing that because I often ask busy achievers like you, what are you reading? What are you uh, learning? What is inspiring you? So, like, what are some of your favorite new publications or in addition to the Up To podcast, like, what's your yeah. favorite podcast? Um, so I love Moonshots. Moonshots. That's love it. Mm -hmm. um, how We Built This, a bunch of customer service ones just to sure. make sure um, I'm not missing anything. Um, I love Tom Bilyeu, uh, Impact Theory. Oh, I don't know that one. Oh, he's great. He's great. Okay. Uh, Impact he's, he, Theory. He started Quest. Wow. I love Brene Brown. Yes. Inspiring. Um, She's great. Yeah. And you know, all those. And, and then when the quarantine happened, I found myself at night watching Breaking Bad and binge watching all that. And so th there were several. And I enjoyed it. I thought it was a good escape. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if it's just me. And I went through several different of those series and watched them all. I couldn't find one that was inspiring, right? Like, mm. like that I wanted to be the main character. Mm. Breaking Bad, you know, yeah. don't necessarily want to, you, you know. You want to be Heisenberg. Right. <laughs> um, I want to look like Heisenberg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Tough guy. I couldn't find any that made me want to be a better person in, in any way. So I stumbled back onto uh, audiobooks. Mm -hmm. I usually only Kindle. And I've been obsessing over biographies. So just literally in the past two weeks, I've done three um, Michelle Obama, Elon Musk, mm -hmm. and then right now listening to um, Shoe Dog, Phil Knight. I read the book. I does he read his own, no. or is it somebody else? So he did the uh, like prologue, right? But it's someone else, some and it is voice. something, yeah. But like to me, those are exactly like a binge watching show because like I can't wait to get back in the car to see how he gets out of this mess that mm -hmm. he's in, and he's about to go bankrupt, and you know all these things. And they've like filled that entertainment need. Good. good. I feel like the most dramatic stories are usually true stories. When we're entertained, I'm always talking to our kids and we watch some show or movie. But then I surprise them at the end saying, that's a true story. And uh, whether it's Phil Knight or some other entrepreneurs navigating curves in the road, it's, right. it's it can be inspirational and you can apply it to your own life. Oh, my God. In so many ways. In so many ways. Where do you think the entrepreneurship in you came from? I'm not familiar. Like, were your parents in business or is this something that you think you were just born with in high school? Were you experimenting with ideas on starting businesses? Where do you think it came from? I don't know. I always question things in an annoying way. Like, why do you do it that way? And sometimes it was to learn and sometimes it was to push back because it just didn't make sense. You know, I, I struggled in school. Hmm. I was requested, didn't because my mom wouldn't let me, but I was requested to repeat every grade from first through 12th. I, I literally have my uh, grade school transcripts uh, hanging up. I was not accepted at St. Joe's, which my older brothers went. Mm -hmm. We had to pull some strings and I got in there and I graduated dead last. And then- uh, um, But in four years? Yes. So that was a lot of work for you, I imagine, then, given what you've said about- Yeah, I, I didn't do much. Oh, so it, so it kinda, wasn't hard. It, it was pretty easy. Yeah, it was really easy. Well, congratulations. And then I went to Cleveland State, which, you know, back then wasn't a, a very tough school, and flunked out. And then eventually graduated, um, you know, it took me seven years. I didn't know that. And right away, did you start cutting hair or was that like idea number four or five? So I love to share these parts with like, kids and what I mean by kids, which is so depressing is probably anyone under 35. I know it's awful. Your intern <laughs> said Mr. Kaufman to me right. today and I wanted to be like his cool equal. Right. <laughs> you try to fist bump him? I know. He's like, get out, get out of here, bald, fat guy. Um, and, 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 you know, and so this is where I think our maybe college system is a little um, backwards and you have college age kids is, is asking an 18 year old, to pick a major of what they think they might want to do for the next 50, 60 years. Yeah, how are you supposed to know? And so my two primary careers that I absolutely love were total mistakes. And, you know, had we been friends prior to either one of those, and you would have said, John, someday you're going to be in the salon business. I would say, Adam, I'll bet you a dollar, give you a million to one odds. Mm -hmm. That ain't going to happen. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I finally graduate. I'm, I'm driving a truck for UPS. And all I want to do is own my own business. Knew that, knew that. I literally, you know, stayed up at night. 
so the two things I love is I own my own business and I love sports. So the only two plus two I can come up to was that I was going to open a sporting goods store. Okay. Back in the late eighties. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, cause that wasn't, you know, only thing I, I wasn't going to play and be in sports, uh, you know, that way. So I said, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this job at UPS because I was working there and it was a great paying job for me. Um, worked there for five years, put some money away, and then opened my business. So meet my wife. She's this great hairdresser who back in the late 80s, early 90s, um, was a very unprofessional industry. And they didn't take care of customers. They didn't take care of employees. Um, it wasn't great experience. Um, you know, so sh- she was this great hairdresser and, and had a big following, but she didn't have health insurance. She didn't have vacation. There was no education. And a lot of her coworkers who loved the business, like really loved doing hair, had to quit to go get real jobs. They couldn't afford to follow right. their passion. So you're losing really good people. So I said, hey, to me, the UPS was golden handcuffs at the time. Because I'm making like four. And you had good benefits, I imagine. Amazing. The opposite of the hairdresser. Exactly. And so so, so when I graduated from Cleveland State in 89, you know, my marketing degree was getting me $22,000 offers, uh, you know, and or I could go driving at UPS for 45. Wow. Which was to me a bill. I mean, I, I grew up, you know, in welfare. So I, to me, that was a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. So I took the UPS job again. And then, um, but it became golden handcuffs. So I'm like, all right, if me and my wife open a salon for her and, you know, we do do things differently and we offer real job uh, benefits, um, great customer service, take care of employees and give back to the community, you know, that would take off hopefully. And then I'd be able to quit my job and go to my sporting goods store. So did you come up with the hair salon idea because of her particular passion yeah. for it? Okay. It's not like you identified that industry. Among well, I, when I started learning about it, and she'd complain all the time about the limitations of her salon, you know, and I'm like, why don't you just go to a, another salon? She's like, every salon's like this. Mm-hmm. So I was like, that's wrong. So, we, you know, we found a huge opportunity that we thought we could change. So that that I, I was excited about. Mm-hmm. And then John Roberts Spa and Salon grew to one of the highest rated. I, I used to see those industry rankings. Yeah just because of our friendship. And it was really impressive. It wasn't just about the size or number of locations, but customer satisfaction. So you, before you became this customer service expert, you really leaned into that within your own business. Well, when we opened in in 92, we had the three no's. We had no money, no employees, and no customers. (laughs) And, you know, like every, you know, city, you could throw a rock uh, in any direction and hit another salon. There's so many. Right. So how do you compete? We couldn't build a nicer facility, couldn't advertise, you know, we had no money. So I said, you know, if we could create an unbelievable experience, which, you know, is basically free. And I didn't want to have a a salon experience that was the best you or your wife uh, could have in the salon industry. Because that's the mistake I believe most companies do. They say we're the best in our industry. Well, Let's say that's true. It's kind of irrelevant because, you know, you wouldn't come into John Roberts spa today and then leave and go to a competitor and compare and say, oh my gosh, they are so much better or they're not. You didn't need a salon, you know, for a few more weeks or a few more months, but what would you do? You'd go, you'd run up to the mall and go shopping. You'd have a a dentist appointment. You'd meet a buddy for lunch or, or a business meeting and you would be comparing your experiences and you might be frustrated when you went to the doctor's office and say, God, I wish these receptionists would look up and realize I'm standing in front of them like they did at John Roberts. So you compared, you're benchmarking against other industries, not just your own. We wanted to be the best experience of your day. And didn't I read somewhere, I was preparing for this and maybe one time you quoted, you want to be the gateway to Paris or something for your customers. They're a 60 minute vacation yes. to Paris. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, that's that's very innovative to think like that. We created a day in the life of a customer and, you know, a typical customer is is our life getting up at, you know, especially we're 80% female, right? So your wife, she's getting up probably at 445 or 545 to get a workout in before she has to get the kids off to school, get you, you know, set. Out of her way. Out of her way. 
um, dealing with some temper tantrums by you or by the <laughs> the kids. And then she has her day mm-hmm. and, you know, rush hour jobs, customers, all that. And then she might be the Uber driver tonight, picking up and dropping off her kids. And so, you know, we wanted to give her that 60 minute escape to rejuvenate her, to want to be, you know, superwoman again. And, and, you know, she's given and given and given. And, and, and so that was our motive. And so what happened was because we started to make a lot of noise in the early to mid-90s, people would, in Cleveland would ask me, you know, to speak at a chamber or something. And I was flattered. And again, if you would have told me, and I thought I was going to be the Starbucks of salons, that we were going to open one every day in every city, and that was going to be my, you know, future. And if you would have said, John, someday you're not going to be in the salon industry, you're going to be speaking. I said, I don't want to. It's not, you know, no way. Um, but what ended up happening, so people start, in Cleveland started asking me to speak. And I, I I was flattered, right? And then I was I was also thinking it was good PR for the salon. If you came to the chamber and you hear about John Roberts, maybe you'd be a customer. Totally. Totally looked at it as that way. Right. And then every time I did speak, two or three people would come up to me and say, hey, you know, can I hire you to do this for my company? So it was truly accidental. That was on my list here. Question number three, how did you then move into the right. advisory and speaking work on customer service, which is just one aspect of your day job, so to speak. You didn't become an expert in types of hair products or makeup, but in customer service. So that was accidental just because of your own passion. Yeah. And again, so go back to the original story. I tell kids, I tell my own kids, I tell my interns. There's a few percent of us at six, at 15, Bernie Marino and and listening to your podcast knew at five he wanted to be in the car business. Um, Some people do, but for the majority of us, I just say go do shit, right? Can I say that? You can say whatever you want. (laughs) Okay. Yes. Um, Go get a degree and go do stuff. And, you know, because, you know, at 21, you know, I've literally had people, you know, they got an accounting degree. I say, why? because they hated it and, you know, they, they changed. They said, well, why did you do that? They said, because my uncle is an accountant and he drives the nicest car. Mm. You know, and, and, you know, that's not really enough to base it on, right? right. So anyway, yeah. So, so then um, I started getting more and more speaking opportunities. And, uh, you know, uh, up to 2002, I was a salon owner that spoke six to 12 times a year, um, not for a lot of money. And then my first book came out uh, then. And that literally took me out and then I became a speaker that owns salons. And you had a book, I remember, before every entrepreneur had a book. Now it's really common. Like if you see, and I love him, Vern Harnish's conferences, mm-hmm. like he lists every speaker yep. and then the book right next to it. It's like compulsory. You have to have a book. Right. But you did that long before it was so common, almost as a business card. So you must enjoy writing a little bit. It's not just, uh, you didn't do, do it just for lead generation. I, you know, I did it because I knew that was uh, the gurus, uh, you know, the big time speakers. When I said, I think I want to do this now. They said, you got to write a book. Mm-hmm. Like, you know. And so did the speaking lead to consulting engagements? Yeah. So I started getting hired because I was in the right place at the right time. Again, not looking for that. It's not like you you set out to start a consulting practice. No, no, no. So, but I, then I started, you know, getting to do keynotes for a Starbucks or a Chick-fil-A or, or a Ritz-Carlton. And I started seeing that they all had the same thing in common, regardless of the industry, Nestle, Price Waterhouse. And it didn't matter what industry, but there was this methodology mm-hmm. that I was able to, you know, kind of codify. Yeah, isn't it true? You just mentioned Starbucks. Did I read that you helped create their service vision and it's like sewn on the inside of their barista aprons? Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I loved Starbucks since they opened. There is a pending restraining order uh, with me and Howard Schultz. I like just idolized the guy. Oh, you're joking. I am joking. Okay, I thought but you were there serious. Could be. There could right, be. There right, could be. Right. Um, I just idolize the guy. His three books that he's written were all my favorite books of all time. Mm. Um, I just think he's one of the people, and I, I hope I don't, you know, find out, you know, anything. I, I was kind of happy he backed off running for president. Right. Um, because when you read about Steve Jobs or Elon Musk, you're like, you know, now I see in order to be so great— at something. Right. You have to have serious flaws in other areas. I know what you're saying about Steve Jobs. I've known two people who work directly for him. Yeah. And yes, he was a tough person for whom to work. But I haven't heard that about Howard Schultz. I, that's that's what I'm saying. Like yeah. the way he is and, and what he's done for his employees and what he does for 
communities and social injustice. Yes. I mean, he's so ahead of the curve yes. with all this. So, so I, I liked him. So, so um, I got an opportunity to, uh, they were struggling. They, they grew too fast. Mm. Um, and so they hired us and, you know, so we created a day in the life of a, a Starbucks customer. We created their service vision, their pillars, their nevers and always. And it was cool for about 10 years on every apron in the world. We'd go to Malaysia and I'd say, you know, can you flip over your apron? And it'd be in, you know, their language. It'd be, you know, in Amazing. Mexico. It'd be ever. It was just, it was really cool. And have you had an opportunity yet to interact with Kevin Johnson, their new CEO? No. I've I, heard good things about him. Yes. I had the previous one, um, but not Kevin. But I hear great things about him. Why do you think so many companies still don't get customer service? It seems to be the most rudimentary way to deliver value in addition to making a widget that you're selling. But still, so many companies, I feel like in America, the state of customer service, no disrespect to your efforts, is not that terrific. Why is it so hard to understand good customer service will lead to repeat customers? So I have a, a really easy answer to that. And one of my favorite all-time books is The Compound Effect by Com Darren Hardy. Okay, I don't know that. The Great Compound book. Effect. They'll give you the 10-second the overview is whether you worked out this morning or you didn't, doesn't matter today. I don't look at you and say, you know, uh, you know, you, you skipped a workout, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. Whether you choose to have donuts and pizza, pizza at lunch, or you have a salad, does not matter today. You won't weigh much different tonight. Whether you invest three percent of your check this week into your four hundred and one k or or savings, or you don't, doesn't matter. You're, you aren't going to look at your statement next week and say, oh, my God, I have, you know. Last Tuesday killed me. Right, right. Um, and so that's the impact. You're talking about discipline. It requires discipline. It, so so everyone in business wants the short-term gains to please shareholders. So that's so true. Customer service is a long-term game. So you go back to that. Whether you train your new employees or your existing employees on better soft skills, empathy, compassion, Great service recovery when you drop the ball or you don't won't matter this week. Your sales will still be the same. And now in six months, it'll be a freight train. You, you taught me that well. Excuse me. Full disclosure for our listeners. One time I brought you into a company I was leading and we had some customer service issues. And what I took away the most is when there was a problem the opportunity is there to create raving fans out of yeah. the problem that you solve with that customer. And then they'll end up speaking even more highly of you in spite of the right. problem. Yeah. Really powerful. So maybe it starts with hiring even the right types of attitudes, not just training the employees in-house. Because I just, I, it's really perplexing to me, customer service. And I'm just so glad you do what you do. We just need, you know, 25 more of you doing it, I guess. Well, that's where we're pivoting in our new business model. Tell me about that. Um, so the DeJulius Group consults and, and does all that. And, and we have, you know, a bunch of consultants. But we uh, are launching in 2021 CX Coaching. CX Coaching. Yeah. And it, it's licensing, you know, our fanatical raving fans that have, you know, gone through all our, our okay. education. And it, it, it's kind of like the EOS model. I was model. about to say, it's like EOS. Exactly. Like you and I have so many friends who yeah. become EOS certified. It's amazing how much that took off. Right. And so it's exactly that. So so is the content something you created or yeah. you're buying into someone else's? No, no, it's thinking. our methodology. Your methodology. From the Ten Commandments and What's the Secret, that is our consulting methodology that we work with companies. Okay. And do you think post-pandemic, you'll return to traveling and public speaking. Do you enjoy that? Love it. Because I've, I've watched you get really good at that. Thank you. I remember the first time I saw you speak, I was going to just support you and be there for you. And you were the only one in the audience, I think. Yet, I was <laughs> so impressed with how good you were, more Thank than just you. like a friendship thing. So you must have worked at it probably to get better and better and better. And Still do every day. What aspect of it required the most work? on your part? Because I think a lot of people struggle with public speaking. Yeah. So my problem was I didn't um, have a fear, which was, you know, everyone says, oh, jump in an airplane, snakes and right. public speaking. And that I didn't. And even, you know, before I was a speaker, you know, give me a room of, you know, three to 25. And I'm like, ah, give me a stadium. And now I'm like, 
you know, so I didn't have the fear, which hurt me because- You didn't prepare enough, maybe? I didn't maybe? prepare, right. exactly. Right, because you were good at it, or at least you weren't worried about it. I wasn't it. worried about it. Right. And so I remember taking, you know, our first professional classes, and I was hanging out with people, and we'd go to dinner, you know, the night after day one. And we had to give like a 10-minute a presentation the next day, each of us. And so after dinner, I'm like, hey, where do you want to go? You know, I go to a bar, you know, I was younger. And they're like, no, we have to go home and, and, and prepare. I'm like, it's 10 minutes. Mm. Like, you could roll out of bed. And they're like, no. And they were, I'm sure they've, they've never spoken since. They were horrible, right? So I just <laughs> laughed and said, you know, your guys are amateurs. And then the next day, they crushed me in the ratings because they prepared. Took it more seriously. And I just was like, hey, and I was like, yeah, um, um, and, and didn't, you know, going down rabbit holes. And it was such a wake-up call to, you it's know. It's kind of like my favorite first line in a book, Jim Collins, good is the enemy of great. Right. You were good at right. it. Right. But it wasn't allowing you, your goodness wasn't allowing you to become great at it until you realize that. Yeah. You know, now I tell people that want to be speakers, you have the advantages of YouTube and TED Talks. When I was starting, you know, the only speakers I ever saw was the two or three conferences I'd go to a year. Right. Which didn't give you much exposure. And most of them, I'd see these people that stood behind podiums and I'd say, oh, that's what you have to do. So I'd stand behind a podium and I sucked mm. because, and then I saw Tom Peters and Jim Valvano speak. Remember Jimmy V? Of course. Oh my God. NC State. Yeah. And watching them, um, they were all over the stage. They'd come down in the audience and walk the room. And I didn't know you were allowed to do that. Watching them gave me the permission, which unleashed me because my bottled up energy and my ADD and all that right. allowed me to, you know. To package it into an effective way of communicating, exactly. which you definitely I, do. I found my voice, my, my personality in speaking from them. You're listening to the Up To Podcast. We'll be right back. During the first season of the Up To podcast, I had several companies and entrepreneurs approach me about potential partnerships, but I'm really selective before choosing to do something like that. One choice we did make happily is to partner with Vivid Front, a full service digital marketing and website design agency based in Cleveland that works with both local and national brands. They've built their entire client base on referrals and they've won a lot of awards, including the 2019 Inc. Magazine Top 5,000 Fastest Growing Companies, North Coast's Top Places to Work, and several others. They're known for their talent. They're known for their creativity. They're known for their culture, a firm I liked before we agreed to partner together for the show. Check out vividfront.com, or you can email me, and I'll introduce you to their dynamic leader, Andrew Spott. Hello, my name is Adam Kaufman, and I'm thankful you're joining us today on the Up To podcast. I want to tell you about a group that I'm grateful for, and that is Town Hall, Cleveland's most popular restaurant, and one that I can say is the only place my wife tells me she can eat every meal, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Town Hall was the first all non-GMO restaurant in the U.S. a few years ago, and they're now expanding into Columbus, Ohio soon. I'm also very selective about who we choose to partner with for this podcast, and it was with open arms that I embraced the idea of partnering with Bobby George and Town Hall. To learn more about what they're up to, you can visit townhallohiocity.com. Welcome back. You're listening to the Up To Podcast with Adam Kaufman. Today's guest, John DeJulius. In addition to Valvano and Tom Peters, any other really... Uh, impressionable moments, you watching someone speak or anyone you really like to see speak today, whether it's in person or on YouTube? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Simon Sinek. Good one. Um, he's a really good one. Um, there's so many out there. I love Howard Schultz. Um, he just, not just, maybe, you know, a, a year ago did a, um, the uh, commencement speech at Arizona State University. And, you know, I just, I, I just love everything that comes out of his mouth. And it's always about social responsibility. He said something so cool. He said a lot of things so cool. But he said something so cool to the, the graduating audience. He says, your generation is going to be the generation that makes racism and, and a few other things only known in the history books. 
Like, I thought that was so cool. It's a big idea. Oh, my God. And to put that on them, you know, is almost a burden, a great burden. Big responsibility. Yeah. And like, you know, like just the stuff he says, you know, is just inspiring to me. And in every great speaker, they put hope and optimism in their speech. Where, where you get up and you know you, you have a responsibility to go make a difference now at home or in your job or community or whatever that may look like. Right. One of my favorite speakers that left an impression with me is Marcus Buckingham. Mm-hmm. Have you ever shared a stage with him or been around I haven't. I've, I've watched him, read his books. Yeah. Um, he's fantastic. He helped me kind of rethink how I wanted to package my own career path in the future. And I know whoever the speaker is, it can really have a lasting impact on us. I uh, will go back to Steve Jobs. You mentioned a while ago, and while he might have been a tough boss, he gave a really famous speech at Stanford, and he talked about different curves in the road in his life and how he turned those into positive pursuits. Every time I have someone on the podcast, John, I like to talk about curves in the road and how we navigate them because oftentimes people see a successful individual like you and, wow, he's got everything but it wasn't always this way, right? You mentioned uh, growing up modest family. That would be uh, an exaggeration. My dad left uh, my mother and six children um, when I was six. Mm. And so we went from middle class to welfare overnight. Never saw him, heard from him again. And uh, so I saw my mom, you know, go from being a full-time parent of six, you know, young kids to having to go get a, a job in, in 1971, and she had no marketable skills. Were you in the middle of the six of you? I was you? the youngest. You were the youngest. Mm-hmm. Okay, keep going. And, uh, and, and so, you know, just seeing her, you know, go through that, which is the reason why I wasn't a good student, um, because my mom wasn't home, you know? She was right. getting a minimum wage job in the day and a job at the night to try to keep- Make you know, ends meet. Right. And so I had no- no responsibility. Home structure. Right, right, right. right. I, I just come home and go play sports until it got mm. dark. And I was ADD mm-hmm. and, and they thought I was LD, uh, learning disabled. And so they tried to hold me back every year. And, you know, you could argue I should have, but I, I'm, I'm 99% sure I would have done just as bad the next year in second grade. <laughs> I just wasn't sitting still. You weren't wired that way. I was, you know, pulling the hair of the girl next to me. I mm-hmm. was, you know, I, I got in mischievous trouble, nothing bad, but I was always in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, I was always in the principal's office, got, you know, a, a few scuffles here and there. And, so do you still at this age not know your father today? Uh, you have I, no relationship? Never had a relationship. Tracked him down um, 30-some years later because, you know, the, the way I— uh, this is probably normal, you know, growing up, you're thinking, all right, how does a, a dad leave six young kids and never? So I had two obvious answers, right? He was in the witness protection. Uh, yes. Program. And he had to, he didn't want to, or Martians came and got him. Only way to explain it right. in your mind. And right. so I was really, you know, I was worried that he would die someday and I'd never get that answered. Mm. So I tracked him down and, uh, you know, we had a meeting. And, you know, he was you know, probably 80 at the time or maybe 75. He was, he was pretty old. And I was I was pretty sure, you know, what I was going to hear was, you know, listen, I left you. I made a mistake, but I know all about you. I just never came back because I didn't think you'd. But, I, I, you know, I know you own a business. I know, you know, you got married. Achieved I, all the success. Yeah, and whatever it was. Right. And it was, it was hilarious. It, it goes back to, you know, everyone justifies in your own head. If I work for you and I'm stealing— I'm going home and sleeping good at night because I've justified that, you know, you're not paying me enough. Mm. And, you know, my dad, well, like, he said, what'd you want to meet me with me about? So I wanted to, to find out why you were such a piece of shit as a father. He said, you know, he's surprised. He was maybe by your standards, not by mine. And I said, you know, how, you know, and he was convinced he was a good dad. And he also didn't know one thing about me. I call this irrationally rationalizing. Right. He didn't know how old I was. And we share the same birthday, which wouldn't have been hard. Like, he said, how old are you? I think I was like 35 at the time. And I said, 35. He goes, really? Like, no idea. And he didn't know anything about any of us. And he just basically said, you know, dude, you got to get over it. And Hmm. it was one of the best things I've ever done. Gave me closure. That's amazing to hear the word best come out of your mouth after this story. It is. It is because in my life, 
you know, you've probably done this less, but we're all guilty of it, where we've told someone off, okay? So let's say I've done it a thousand times. 999, I've regretted. Like, I didn't have to do that. Mm -hmm. That was uncalled for. You know, even if they were at raw, I didn't have to do it. There was a better way. Right. This, I told him off. In this meeting. In this meeting. And it felt so good. I mean, it was the best closure. And a few years later, someone told me, you know, my dad passed and it had no bearing on me. Like, you know, no regret because I had that. And I found out that there were no Martians. There was no witness protection program. He just checked out, ran away with his secretary and wanted nothing to do with us. And and that was, I I could live with that. How do you feel, John, because I've watched you be such an engaged father with your boys. How do you feel this lack of a relationship with your father helped create the type of father you are to your fellows? Yeah, I mean, that was the best thing that happened. Even him leaving because, you know, him not being the father he should have been made me the father uh, that I am today because I became, you know, I wanted to make sure I never did that to my kids and that I was always there. And, and You did the opposite. I love how you did the surprise take them out to breakfast before school or the surprise, not even go to school that day once, yeah. once in a while, or the wake them up after bedtime for movie night, one, one son at a time. You yeah. Know, I mean, you inspired me to get creative with my own parenting with these yeah. ideas. I think Tony Robbins has said it. Things don't happen to you. They happen for you. Mm. And I really look at everything from that lens. Like, and not only did you have this challenge with your father, but then you ended up being a single parent. Yes. So ironically, this Tony Robbins comment, you just, I'm just reacting in the moment now. It prepared you a little bit to be the great single parent you became, maybe. Yeah, I I lost my wife uh, 11 years ago to to a Mm. tragic accident. And, uh, but again, I I, I looked at it at the time, horrible and never want anything like that to happen is how lucky were we to have her for, for, for nearly 20 years and, um, and, and when I do get compliments of people that meet my kids and, and on, on a good day, they're, they're impressive to meet, right? And they're very like, sharp. <laughs> um, I, I can't take, you know, uh, even 50% of the credit. They have so much of their mom in them mm. and her spirit, her funness, her energy, um, her passion, um, you know, that will always be there. And then eventually, God willing, you'll be a, a grandparent someday mm-hmm. and you'll probably be the world's best grandparent uh, yeah, yeah. I, We're not I, rushing it. I don't want to right. on my side either. But um, Do you know something I don't? No, no. Okay. I, I, didn't, I didn't mean to go there, but I just feel like, you know, a lot of times we think about day-to-day, like you said, being disciplined with customer service, but also just being disciplined with the legacy we're creating. Yeah. Long, long, long term. Like your legacy probably won't be affected by what you do the rest of today. Maybe it could, but the long-term practice of legacy yeah. versus just building resume. I love David Brooks's two documents speech. You know, are you working more on your resume right. or your eulogy? Yep. You're young, but do you ever think about legacy? Yeah. I mean, I have a phrase on my mirror and my wall in our office, and it's what I want my legacy to be, to live an extraordinary life so countless others do. Mm. To live an, let me just, to live an extraordinary life so that countless others do. Yeah. So it's not just for your own joy that you're living this extraordinary life. Absolutely not. I have a plan and I have personal and professional buckets that I have to visit in order to live an extraordinary life. And more times than, than not, when I realize I'm not, I go to these personal buckets and I can immediately see what's deficient and get back to it, whether it be working out, eating, not hanging around, you know, the, the right people. That, certain crowd. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, I judge the people I want to hang out by two ways. Me and you go get a beer tonight. All right. And we sit down. And I say, Adam, I just got to let you know that, you know, I, I promised Claudia I'd be home by eight. You're like, cool. So now it's, you know, 715. And, you know, bartender says, you guys want another one. And, you know, you say, yeah, or you say to me, hey, John, uh, you said you'd be home by eight. I think if you leave now, you can still make it versus, dude, let's have another one. Or it could be, you know, let's get a workout in tomorrow or, you know, you got to study for that test. You want help or screw it. You know, it's only midterms. Let's go out for, you know, whatever level you are. You know, that's how I look at people. And I got to be that, too. Right. To you. 
it's not just about you coaching me right. to be a better uh, coaching up. So yeah, so so living uh, an extraordinary life. So that's one aspect of how you choose. Yes. All right. So what's the other aspect there, of who three, you choose to be with? There's three personal pillars. Is what am I feeding my brain? Okay. So we're talking about the podcast, and, right? You know, whether you're listening to Howard Stern or or you know up to. Right. Right. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and um you know and it it's it's networking, but not in the networking sense of, hey, here's my business card. Do you need me? It's surrounding myself with brilliant, inspiring people. Yeah, relationships. I call exactly. that relationships. Yeah. And networking has a bad name right it. now, but- I like building social capital. Yeah, I call it relationship equity. So yeah. it's kind of Love similar. That. Yeah, Love relationship that. equity. Yeah. But so that's a, another piece. So did I interrupt you? So it's the relationships, expanding your mind. And what was the third piece? Charity, giving more, okay. you know, giving back. And awesome. then there's three buckets professionally. But how did you come up with that whole structure? This is like, was it like the Peter Thomas life plan stuff? Or how did you I don't know. create these buckets? And I don't know. And I created them about 15 years ago. And, and then I created a strategy to that. And is that in one of your books or? Yeah. In the customer service revolution, it's a last chapter titled living an extraordinary life. So countless others do I'd it. I'd like to it's, maybe share out your strategy. I, I, I could send you a PDF of yeah. that chapter and you could provide yeah, a link. Yeah. yeah that'd be yeah. good. Because my whole premise is, um, I don't want to live an extraordinary life. So I have more cars, more vacations, more bank accounts, whatever that is. I feel that we all have seeds of potential in us mm. and the seeds we don't sow cheat those around us. Right. And, you know, you can look at it one of two ways. It is a sin not to use our talents. It, it, I believe it totally that. is. And, and, and so if, if, if me and you are dependent on each other, we're partners, we're, you know, relatives, father, son, husband, wife, um, you know, whatever you want to call it, um, employer, employee, and I'm eating like crap you know, and drinking too much and you can call me out and I could say, Hey, you know, Adam, that's none of your business. Right. I, but it is the accountability, right? Not even the accountability. If I'm not living the best version of myself, I'm cheating you as my business partner, I see. as my significant other. Right. So, so let's say I, I, you know, I, I eat like crap, don't get a workout in, have a couple beers, come home and I want to collapse on the couch. And my you're, youngest son says, "You're not available to the, right. the hey, family Hey, you want to play member. catch? Right? No, 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 no. I, you know, or I, I snap at him more because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm right. edgier. And so it's just that. So for me, this is what motivates me: the ripple effect of. And, and then we go back to the Steve Jobs, Walt Disney's, Nelson Mandela's, you know, whomever they are. What if they would have said, "Oh, screw it, I'm going to be ordinary." How much different would our lives be? Right. That's a great point. And that's what motivates Who me. Who aren't we affecting if we don't become the best versions of ourselves? And we're a Walt Disney, Nelson Mandela to someone. It might be a much smaller sure. community, but we're that to them. One of my mentors, Doug Holliday, he often says, not only whose tribe are you in, but who's in your tribe. Right. And that, I think, relates to a lot of what you're saying right now. That's really interesting about comparing ourselves to Walt Disney or legends like that, because who can we affect in the future if we become better versions of ourselves? Now, you've started a foundation. I wanted to get to that a little bit. Tell us about Believe in Dreams. What inspired you to do that? Probably my background, okay? Growing up, you know, on the poorer side, but I was lucky to have five older brothers and sisters and an incredible mom that loved me that I didn't realize that we were at a disadvantage. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And things have worked out well for me because people believed in me when it was really hard to to believe in me. I didn't make it easy for people to believe me when I'm, you know, getting kicked out of school and and and, and teachers are, you Pull, know, pulling the young girl's hair right, next to you in class. Right, right, right. So we started looking at the markets. I, I love the kid market, if you will. And I started thinking about maybe, well, you know, we'll just become a big supporter of Make a Wish, which I love. Mm -hmm. But then when as I looked more into it. Um, there's an underserved market of non-medically uh, kids that have gone through incredible hardship at no fault of their own. You know, not a lot of people are taking care of them. I noticed that in your mission statement, the extended version, how so much of our efforts and our hearts are directed towards people who've overcome a major medical problem. And of course, we should think about that a lot. But I like your different focus. That it's a market opportunity, so to speak. It is. To address is. that part of the market. And, and listen, you know, Make-A-Wish is great. And, and when we get submissions with medical 
different. We, we recommend them to make a wish and vice versa. Make a wish recommends people to us that don't fall into their thing. Um, so it, we're not even competing, but my kids, like your kids, they're so spoiled, right? And listening to your podcast with Bernie Marino just made me feel so guilty because I love what his parents did that I needed to do. And, you know, if I told my kids, you know, I think next weekend, you know, we're going to go to Disney. One of them would complain. One of them would say, we've been there, you know, so many times. Oh, gosh. And so when we started this uh, Believe in Dreams six or seven years ago, one of my concerns was that, you know, their dreams would be ostentatious and we wouldn't be able to do a lot because the value of their dreams. And boy, the, the um, participants, not the your kids, children. The yeah. kids, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And boy, was I wrong. The most basic dreams. One kid said, um, you know, he was eight, to visit the local fire station. Here's me in my bubble. I'm like, what? Like, what do you mean? Anyone can go to the fire station. And, you know, this kid doesn't have anyone to take him. Um, a girl said, and I'm getting teared up, a bed without bugs. That's all she wanted. That's all she wanted. And then another girl um, said, um, I would like to be able to buy uh, homeless people gift certificates to McDonald's. And, you know, I wanted to go home and like beat my kids. Isn't that like, remarkable? What's wrong with you guys, right? right? You right, know, and, right. and so there's a couple of things at play, right? They are humble dreams. But the other problem, which I, I will argue is worse then what they're going, and, and their stories are, are bad, really bad, right? Mm. They've seen their mother's boyfriend beat her to death. Mm. Like, like just bad, bad stuff, right? And so maybe equal or worse than what they're going through or they, they've been through is that they have a lack of imagination. You ask our kids, what do you want to do, you know, when you grow up? And you're going to hear some crazy stuff from president to, you know. Rocket ships. Yeah, all the, which is great. Right, right. Again, these kids wouldn't say go to an Indians game, go to a Browns game, go to anything because they don't, that's not even on, you know, in, in the realm of their possibility, which really bothers me because they don't have hope. They don't have an imagination and every kid should have those things. So that's what we really try to do is, yes, give them the new shoes, give them a bed, but also find out some other things and take them, you know, to a Cavs game and mm. high five, you know, back then LeBron James. Right. And they're just, you know, think that. You took them to the moon. Right. And they're so appreciative. What's the website? Believeindreams.org. Believeindreams.org. Okay, that's easy. It's just so inspirational. And then I've been lucky enough to see some of the testimonials of the families and how you affect them. And you can't help but want to get more involved. So congratulations on, you. on what you've Thank created you. there. Well, what's next for you? You're way too young to start slowing down. So what are you most excited about as we we look ahead optimistically post-pandemic? What are you intrigued by the most? Is it this new um, certification program you developed yeah, for other coaches? Yeah, I really think that this is going to, uh, you know, really be scalable. Um, I'm excited because we have so many that are interested. So our mission statement is at the DeJulius Group is to change the world by creating a customer service revolution. And that's it, hard to do as, a, as a, a boutique consulting firm, even with as many clients as we touch. But now if we can get an army of 50, 150, 200 certified coaches out there, mm-hmm. now we can really start to help that. So to your point that- We need more John DeJulius's teaching yeah. customer service. Yeah, I, I, guess, I guess we're delivering that. Right. But, but I mean, like, like what you basically said earlier is when you go out, if it's not horrible, you're kind of relieved. Isn't that amazing? That's not the bar. We, I hope I didn't bring you down by saying that. No, it's, no, it's true. And it's why I, you know, we're busy and, yes. and we get busier even during economic times that are tough. Well, I know how busy you are even during this pandemic. So I'm really grateful that you took the time to visit with us today. I'm flattered uh, you asked me. You've had a great lineup. And it was intimidating to come in and be one of your guests. Well, you you continue to keep the bar high. So thank you so much, John. And uh, congratulations on all your success. And I just look forward to continuing to be a fan on the sidelines rooting for you. Thanks, Adam. I appreciate all. I love the way you're pivoting and the inspiration that you're bringing to so many. Thank you. John gave us so many good observations and life experiences. It's almost as if each of his phrases that come out of his mouth are slogans you could put on a poster or on an inspirational 
book cover or something. I'll try to uh, share my favorites here. The first one is something you said at the beginning, find the gift in every situation. I really like that. Kind of a glass half full mentality. Number two, in business, you can benchmark beyond your own industry to truly strive for and hopefully achieve optimal performance. Your standards don't need to be limited to competitors in your same field. It's very good for all of us to think about no matter what line of work we're in. Number three, customer service is a long-term game. The compound effect of doing the right thing every time, every day, has staying power. It's a lot like, John said, the daily discipline of eating right or working out. One day may not be noticeable if you struggle, but it adds up over time. Number four, if you're ever asked to give a presentation, remember that giving your audience hope and optimism is the surest way to deliver the value to them. I know a lot of folks who don't like speaking publicly or even presenting in a meeting, so those are good words to live by. Number five, John's mission to live an exemplary life so that others can benefit from it, I found to be quite inspirational. And number six, living to be the best version of ourselves isn't just for ourselves. It's so others around us, those who depend on us, can benefit and grow and count on us. I actually never thought about it that way, but it's very powerful. Okay, Adam, we got more feedback than normal here this week, so it was tough to pick out a few. And I think I'll go ahead and read them this week. That'd be great because there were so many on social media as well after we would post the episode. So go ahead. What do you have? Okay, so here's a good one. This is from Dave McKee. Says, Adam, this could be one of the best for sure. Top three. What a humble, well-spoken woman. He's talking about General Laura Lenderman. Mm -hmm. What a humble, well-spoken woman. Certainly brilliant, successful, and makes one proud of our military. Mm. Great timing. No, you planned this around our nation's birthday. Mm. MB and I, presumably a spouse maybe, MB and I loved her faith statements. Daily prayer, very solid. Great job with the interview, and the quality of the recording was excellent. So that's a nice uh, that's awesome. nice little something to, to me as well. huh? Mm-hmm. And I've got a second one here that stood out. Okay. And this is from Marty Katie, uh, editor, Politico, Washington, D.C. Really great to hear both voices on Adam's podcast. Both the host and General Lenderman have positive outlooks in their approach to professionalism and their personal life. And it's something to admire during really negative times. I have to fight that fight every day to try to be positive in a profession that has to swirl in pretty rough waters. Mm. Thanks for doing the podcast. Uh, Also, Adam, I never realized this, but you have a great radio therapist's voice. Oh, my. And I felt like I needed to lie on the couch and tell you all of my darkest fears. Fraser Crane. That's funny. (laughs) That's very nice, though. Yeah, really great feedback. Just a couple that I picked out of the hat here. Well, we love the feedback, and we accept definitely criticisms as well as compliments. So please engage with us via social media, email, text, letters, whatever you want. Thank you. Up To is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. A special thanks to our producer and audio engineer, Dave Douglas. I'm your host, Adam Kaufman, and thank you so much for listening to the Up To Podcast.